Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Jesus forgave us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. The first time I realized that Jesus took the absolute penalty, punishment, all of it for my sins, that was freedom for me. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. This is my fourth and final week of teaching on a sure foundation. And I tell you, this has been powerful. I have shared some things that have transformed my life, and I know that I've, I've seen this work in other people, and I know the potential that it has for you, and I just have really enjoyed sharing it. These are some of the things that are foundation in my life, and that's the reason we titled uh, Teaching a Sure Foundation. And so this is a brand new book. We have CDs and DVDs, and as I said, this is my last week of teaching on this. And I tell you, you really need to get more than just the television programs. I know that there's many of you that may watch on a daily basis, and you think, well, I heard it all, but you, this is the kind of thing that you need to go over and over. I have studied these things literally hundreds of times, probably thousands of times, and I tell you, it's just, it's the kind of thing you need to go over. Plus, it's a great way for you to share this with someone else, is to get the book or the CDs and just share with them, and it would make a big difference in their life. So I've already taught about how that the Word of God is like a seed. This entire natural world is dependent upon seeds, not only plant and animal life, but you and I are the product of a seed. And in the same way that this physical world is absolutely dependent upon seed, time, and harvest, in the kingdom of God, the Word of God is a seed. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it's the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And we have to plant God's Word and give it time and let it bring forth a harvest. So in the same way that this physical world could not exist. It wouldn't continue if there wasn't seed, time, and harvest. Likewise, the kingdom of God in you is dependent upon you taking the Word of God, sowing it in your heart. And if you give it time and if you protect it, it will produce a harvest every single time. That is really, really powerful. Now I want to illustrate what I've been teaching for the last three weeks. And I tell you, this is powerful. These are scriptures that the Lord used to touch my life. And um, for a long period of time, I didn't understand this. You know, I've come to realize that when I see something in the Bible and it causes a big question and I say, God, how could that be? And it just doesn't seem to make sense. I have learned that that's not because the Word is wrong. It's because my thinking is wrong. And I'll just keep after that and I'll go back and revisit it. And I have learned over a period of time that some of these things that at one time were my biggest questions turn out to be some of my biggest uh, revelations that God has given me. And that's exactly the way this passage of Scripture is. This is talking about when John the Baptist had been put in prison and he, under the duress of prison, and, you know, who knows, all of the different things that are happening, he actually began to doubt that Jesus was the Christ. Now, this was a major crisis for John the Baptist because this is what he had devoted his entire life to. The Scripture says that John the Baptist, from his birth, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he didn't live a normal childhood like any of us did. 
whatever we consider normal. But I mean, he was in the deserts, separated unto God. Tradition has it that he lived with a group of people called the Essens who lived around the Dead Sea. They're the ones that actually wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and hid them in those caves. And they were a very strict religious order. And I mean, everything about them, they were so committed to the Word of God in every detail that John the Baptist grew up under this extreme, strict uh, religious training. And he just, you know, he never had a wife. He never had a family. He never had anything. His whole focus of his life, he knew that he was born for a purpose. And as he responded to the scribes and Pharisees when they asked and said, Who are you? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? He says, No, I'm not him, but I am preparing the way. He knew his purpose and he committed his life. And for 30 years, he was totally focused on preparing the hearts of the people for the Messiah coming. And then he baptized Jesus, saw the heavens open, heard an audible voice, saw a visible representation of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And at one time, he was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Christ. Matter of fact, his disciples came and tried to pit him against Jesus and get him jealous by saying, Jesus is baptizing more people than you are. John responded by saying, He must increase and I must decrease. He even sent two of his disciples, uh, Peter and Andrew, after Jesus. And he was just selfless and absolutely committed that Jesus was the Christ. He had prepared the way, sent all of the people that he uh, drew to himself after Jesus. And yet, after being in prison, look what happened. This is in Luke chapter 7, verse 19. John calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, if you remember and understand what I just said about his whole life for 30 years committed to this one thing, this cannot be interpreted any other way than that he just doubted. He was beginning to wonder if he had actually anointed the wrong person. And part of this, and I'm just reading into, but this is based on Scripture. All of the disciples, everybody in Jesus' time, they confused the first and the second coming of the Lord into one thing. And it's understandable because in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah chapter 61, it talks about how He came to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captive, recovering his sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And when Jesus quoted that, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he stopped right there. But in Isaiah chapter 61, it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance and the wrath of God. In Isaiah, it was all run together and there wasn't this separation. But now we know through Scripture that Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And now we have the church age that has lasted for 2,000 years. And there is coming the future day when the Lord returns and sets up His kingdom and releases the wrath of God against those who rejected Him. But it wasn't that clear in the Old Testament. And you can see Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees, everybody, they were just expecting Him to establish a kingdom right then. And instead of establishing a kingdom, John, Jesus wasn't turning people against the Roman government. He wasn't preaching rebellion. He wasn't proclaiming himself as the physical king, but he was establishing a spiritual kingdom. 
AND, YOU KNOW, THE SCRIPTURE SAYS IN PROVERBS CHAPTER 13, I BELIEVE IT'S VERSE 12, THAT HOPE DEFERRED MAKES THE HEART SICK. AND IF YOU HAVE YOUR HEART SET ON SOMETHING, IF THIS IS THE WAY YOU SEE THINGS GOING AND YOUR EXPERIENCE GOES CONTRARY TO THAT, IT MAKES YOUR HEART SICK. IT MAKES YOU BEGIN TO WONDER AND DOUBT WHAT'S GOING ON. DID I DO THE WRONG THING? AND I BELIEVE THAT THIS IS PROBABLY WHAT HAPPENED John to, TO JOHN THE BAPTIST. HE HAD BEEN IMPRISONED. AND YOU'VE GOT TO REMEMBER, JOHN HAD SPENT 30 YEARS PREPARING HIMSELF FOR THIS MINISTRY. AND THE SCRIPTURES DON'T MAKE IT EXACTLY CLEAR, BUT IT WAS PROBABLY ONLY AROUND SIX MONTHS TO A YEAR MAXIMUM THAT JOHN MINISTERED. 30 YEARS PREPARING FOR SIX MONTHS OR ONE YEAR WORTH OF MINISTRY. AND I MEAN, HE WAS A FIREBALL. HE WAS, HE WAS PROCLAIMING THINGS. HE STOOD UP AGAINST Herod AND REBUKED HIM FOR MARRYING HIS BROTHER'S WIFE, WHICH WAS INCEST, AND HE REBUKED HIM AND STOOD AGAINST IT. BECAUSE OF IT, HE WAS PUT IN PRISON. AND HERE WAS THIS MAN WHO WAS JUST ON FIRE FOR GOD, AND HE WANTED TO BE OUT PROCLAIMING THE WORD OF GOD, AND YET HE WAS SILENCED, AND HE WAS IN PRISON. EVEN MORE THAN THE PHYSICAL RESTRAINTS AND THE THINGS THAT WOULD GO ALONG WITH BEING IN PRISON, I THINK THE WORST PART OF IT FOR JOHN WOULD HAVE BEEN THE FACT THAT HE WAS NOT ABLE TO PREACH ANYMORE. HE WASN'T ABLE TO PROCLAIM PEOPLE, AND THIS IS WHAT HE HAD GIVEN HIS WHOLE LIFE TOWARDS. MAN, I CAN RELATE TO THIS. IF SOMEHOW OR ANOTHER I WAS TO BE MUZZLED AND I COULD NOT BE SHARING THE TRUTHS THAT HAVE CHANGED MY LIFE AND THAT I'VE SEEN CHANGE THE LIVES OF THOUSANDS OF OTHER PEOPLE, it would, IT WOULD BE HARD TO HANDLE. AND ANYWAY, BECAUSE HIS EXPERIENCE WASN'T MATCHING WHAT HIS DESIRE WAS, I BELIEVE IT HAD MADE HIS HEART SICK. SO HERE'S JOHN IN A CRISIS SITUATION, AND I MEAN BEGINNING TO DOUBT NOT ONLY IS JESUS THE CHRIST, BUT BY SAYING THAT, HE ALSO NOW WAS DOUBTING, DID I BLOW THIS WHOLE THING? DID I TAKE THIS ANOINTING? THE ONLY PERSON, THE FIRST PERSON, IN HISTORY TO BE FILLED WITH THE HOLY SPIRIT FROM HIS MOTHER'S WOMB AND CALLED AN ANOINTING, SOMETHING THAT HAD NEVER HAPPENED BEFORE. AND DID I MAKE A MISTAKE? DID I ANOINT THE WRONG PERSON? HAVE I WASTED THIS ANOINTING? I MEAN, THIS WAS A CRISIS SITUATION, NOT ONLY ABOUT IS JESUS THE CHRIST, BUT ABOUT MY WHOLE LIFE. IS IT WASTED? DID I RUIN IT? DID I BLOW THE WHOLE THING? SO I SAY ALL OF THOSE THINGS JUST TO SHOW THAT THIS WAS CRITICAL, IT WAS IMPORTANT, AND LOOK AT HOW JESUS RESPONDED TO THIS QUESTION. IT SAYS, AND IN THE SAME HOUR HE CURED MANY OF THEIR INFIRMITIES AND PLAGUES AND OF EVIL SPIRITS, AND UNTO MANY THAT WERE BLIND HE GAVE SIGHT. THEN JESUS ANSWERING SAID UNTO THEM, GO YOUR WAY AND TELL JOHN WHAT THINGS YOU HAVE SEEN AND HEARD, HOW THAT THE BLIND SEE, THE LAME WALK, THE LEPERS ARE CLEANSED, THE DEAF HEAR, THE DEAD ARE RAISED, TO THE POOR THE GOSPEL IS PREACHED, AND BLESSED IS HE WHOSOEVER SHALL NOT BE OFFENDED IN ME. YOU KNOW, WHEN I FIRST READ THIS, I, th I SAW THE SEVERITY OF THE SITUATION WITH JOHN. I SAW THAT THIS WAS A CRISIS SITUATION, AND IT LOOKS LIKE JESUS JUST DIDN'T REALLY RESPOND IN KIND. I MEAN, FOR AN HOUR, HE DIDN'T EVEN RESPOND TO JOHN'S MESSENGERS. HE JUST WENT ABOUT AND HE HEALED PEOPLE. IF YOU COMPARE THIS WITH MATTHEW CHAPTER 11, THE EXACT SAME THING IS WRITTEN OVER THERE. IT MENTIONS NOT ONLY THAT HE uh, CURED PEOPLE OF THEIR INFIRMITIES AND PLAGUES AND OF EVIL SPIRITS TO CAST THEM OUT AND BLIND HE GAVE SIGHT, BUT OVER IN MATTHEW IT SAYS THAT HE uh, RAISED PEOPLE FROM THE DEAD. HE JUST PERFORMED ALL OF THESE MIRACLES IN AN HOUR'S TIME, 
AND THEN AFTER ALL OF THIS, HE TURNED TO JOHN'S DISCIPLES AND SAYS, GO TELL HIM WHAT YOU'VE SEEN AND HEARD. TELL HIM ABOUT THESE MIRACLES AND TELL HIM HE'LL BE BLESSED IF HE'LL JUST BELIEVE AND NOT BE OFFENDED. NOW THAT, TO ME, DOESN'T SEEM LIKE THAT JESUS TOOK JOHN'S DILEMMA VERY SERIOUSLY. HE DIDN'T GIVE HIM A PERSONAL ANSWER. HE SAID, JUST GO TELL HIM WHAT YOU'VE SEEN AND HEARD AND HE'LL BE BLESSED IF HE BELIEVES. AND THEN THE NEXT VERSE SAYS, AND WHEN THE MESSENGERS OF JOHN WERE DEPARTED. NOW THIS IS VERY IMPORTANT THAT YOU SEE THAT HE DIDN'T SAY ALL OF THESE THINGS WHILE JOHN'S MESSENGERS WERE THERE SO THAT THEY COULD HEAR IT AND THEN REPEAT IT TO JOHN. BUT LOOK AT WHAT THEY DID. IT SAYS, WHEN THE MESSENGERS OF JOHN WERE DEPARTED, HE BEGAN TO SPEAK UNTO THE PEOPLE CONCERNING JOHN. WHAT WENT YOU OUT INTO THE WILDERNESS FOR TO SEE? A REED SHAKING WITH THE WIND? OF COURSE, THIS IS A VERY SARCASTIC STATEMENT. YOU KNOW, WHAT DREW MULTITUDES, THOUSANDS AND THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE OUT INTO THE DESERT? WAS IT THE REEDS BLOWING IN THE WIND? OBVIOUSLY NOT. THEY HAD BEEN THERE FOR THOUSANDS OF YEARS AND THEY HADN'T HAD CROWDS OF THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE GO OUT TO SEE THE REEDS BLOWING IN THE WIND. VERY SARCASTIC STATEMENT. IN OTHER WORDS, JUST SAYING, YOU KNOW, WHAT WAS IT THAT DREW ALL OF THESE THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE OUT INTO THE DESERT? AND THEN HE GOES ON TO SAY IN VERSE 25, BUT WHAT WENT YE OUT FOR TO SEE? A MAN CLOTHED IN SOFT RAIMENT? BEHOLD, THEY WHICH ARE GORGEOUSLY APPAREL'D AND LIVE DELICATELY ARE IN KING'S HOUSES. AGAIN, THIS IS A SARCASTIC STATEMENT. DID YOU GO OUT THERE BECAUSE SOMEBODY WAS DRESSED IN THEIR FANCY CLOTHES, THEIR THREE-PIECE SUIT, THEIR PATENT LEATHER SHOES, THEIR, YOU KNOW, $5,000 SUITS AND STUFF? Is it, WAS IT JOHN'S DRESS THAT DREW PEOPLE OUT THERE? YOU KNOW, JOHN, THE SCRIPTURE SAYS, WAS CLOTHED IN CAMEL HAIR, AND HE ATE LOCUSTS AND WILD HONEY. AND I'VE HEARD uh, PEOPLE SAY THAT THE ONLY THING THAT SMELLS WORSE THAN CAMEL HAIR IS WET CAMEL HAIR. AND JOHN THE BAPTIST WAS IN THE WATER A LOT OF THE TIME BAPTIZING PEOPLE. SO HE PROBABLY STUNK. I CAN IMAGINE THAT HE HAD A BEARD, THAT HE WAS EATING LOCUSTS AND WILD HONEY. HE PROBABLY HAD uh, GLOBS OF HONEY IN HIS BEARD. HE WAS NOT A FASHION STATEMENT. IT WAS NOT HIS CLOTHES THAT DREW PEOPLE BY THE THOUSANDS TO GO OUT INTO THE DESERT. AND THIS IS WHAT JESUS IS POINTING OUT. BUT IN VERSE 26, IT SAYS, BUT WHAT WENT YE OUT FOR TO SEE? A PROPHET? YEA, I SAY UNTO YOU, AND MUCH MORE THAN A PROPHET. THIS IS HE OF WHOM IT IS WRITTEN, BEHOLD, I SEND MY MESSENGER BEFORE THY FACE, WHICH SHALL PREPARE THY WAY BEFORE ME. AND WHAT THIS IS REFERRING TO IS THE PROPHECY IN MALACHI THAT BEFORE THE GREAT DAY OF THE LORD CAME, GOD WOULD SEND HIS MESSENGERS TO TURN THE HEARTS OF THE FATHERS TO THE CHILDREN AND THE HEARTS OF THE CHILDREN TO THE FATHERS, LEST THE LORD COME AND SMITE THE EARTH WITH THE CURSE. IN OTHER WORDS, JESUS IS SAYING, what, it, WHAT WAS IT THAT DREW ALL OF THESE PEOPLE OUT INTO THE WILDERNESS? IT WAS THE ANOINTING OF GOD ON A MAN. IT WAS HE WAS A PROPHET. IT WAS BECAUSE HE WAS ANOINTED BY GOD AND THEN HE SAYS IN VERSE 28, FOR I SAY UNTO YOU, AMONG THEM THAT ARE BORN OF WOMEN, THERE IS NOT A GREATER PROPHET THAN JOHN THE BAPTIST, BUT HE THAT IS LEAST IN THE KINGDOM OF GOD IS GREATER THAN HE. NOW THIS IS AMAZING. THIS IS SAYING THAT JOHN THE BAPTIST WAS THE GREATEST PROPHET WHO HAD EVER LIVED. THIS PUTS HIM ABOVE MOSES. THIS PUTS HIM ABOVE ELIJAH, ELISHA, DAVID, ISAIAH, JEREMIAH, SAMUEL, ANYBODY YOU WANT TO MENTION. 
You take all of the great men of the Old Testament, here is Jesus, who was the leading religious figure at that time. He was causing a revival that the world had never seen. People were coming to Him. He was performing miracles. He had turned the religious system on its ear. The whole nation, and not only the nation of Israel, but the surrounding nations were being impacted by Him. He was the most powerful, popular man of His day. And here He is saying that John the Baptist, you are the greatest prophet that has ever walked on this earth, above Moses, Elijah, anybody, Abraham, you are the greatest one that has ever lived. When I read this, I thought, God, why didn't you say this to John's messengers? Again, I go back to verse 24. It says, when the messengers of John were departed, he began to say these things. He waited until John's disciples were gone before he said this. Obviously, he did not want John to hear this. He wanted John to hear what he said. And what he said to John's messengers, the message that he sent them back with, it didn't seem near as good to me as what he said to, uh, about John after the disciples were gone. He began to say he is the greatest prophet that has ever walked on this planet. What a tremendous thing to say. Why, why didn't he say that to John's messengers? It seems to me like that that would have encouraged John. Here's a man fighting discouragement, wondering if he had wasted his whole life, if he took this anointing and anointed the wrong person. And here is this person saying that, John, you are the fulfillment of prophecy. You're the messenger that was prophesied over 400 years ago. You are the greatest man that has ever lived on the planet, above Moses, Abraham, David, anybody. You know, that seems like that that would have blessed him. You know, I remember back when I was first getting started in ministry, and Jamie and I were pastoring in Seagaville, Texas, which is a little bit southeast of Dallas. And I went over to a meeting in Fort Worth, Texas, at Bob Nichols Church, uh, Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth. It was at that time, we didn't have the freeway systems that they have now. And I mean, it was like an hour and a half drive. And we went to this meeting. There was 2,000 people there. It was an ICFCM meeting, and they had all of the great speakers, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, all of the, you know, T.L. Osborne, all of these uh, important people up there, and nobody knew who I was. And, and I, I was sitting in there. They had a center section that probably had, I'm not sure, but it was at least 25, 30, or 40 seats in the center section. And I mean, you, when and you were in the center of that, you were stuck. There was no easy way to get out to the aisles. The place was completely packed out. And I was really fighting discouragement. People were staying away from my church by the millions. And I mean, I could not draw a crowd and I was struggling and I was discouraged, similar to what uh, John was right here. And I remember that during that service, the place was packed out, 2,000 people in there. Bob Nichols, who was the pastor of Calvary Cathedral, he's now a very good friend of mine and on my board of directors, just a great guy. And I remember that they said, you know, go greet somebody. And I was in the center of this auditorium, 2,000 people, and I was in the center of this row with at least 25, maybe 40 people in this row. Bob Nichols got off the platform, ran down the aisle, pushed his way through all of these people, and just started hugging me. And he said, don't quit. Don't quit. And he just hugged me. Don't quit. 
don't quit. And then everybody else sat down. The greeting time was over and we were still standing right in the center of this auditorium, him hugging me and saying, don't quit, don't quit. And he didn't say anything specific, but just the fact that that man singled me out of 2,000 people and felt impressed of God. I just felt like, God, you knew I needed a hug. You knew that I needed some encouragement. And it did something for me just to think that, God, you know I'm here. Whether anybody else knows I'm here, you know I'm here. And it encouraged me and blessed me. And in a sense, I was looking at this and thinking, God, why, did, why didn't you say these encouraging things about John the Baptist while his messengers were there? Why didn't you tell them that he was the the prophet that had been prophesied in Malachi? Why didn't you tell them that he was the greatest prophet that had ever walked on this earth? Why did you wait until John's messengers were gone? Why did you just tell him, tell him what you've seen and what you've heard and he'll be blessed if he's not offended? It seemed inadequate to me. And it seemed like that what he said after John's messengers were gone would have blessed John so much more than what he did tell them to say. And like I said at the beginning of this program, for years, every time I'd read this, I just had a big question mark. God, why did you respond to John that way? You know, I'm not going to have time to get into the full answer on this today. You need to listen in tomorrow or once again, you need to get these materials. But let me just say this, that many of you may be in a similar situation where something that you've been hoping for and believing for isn't coming to pass your situation does not match what you were desiring to happen. And because of that, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so you're going to God and you're looking for some encouragement. There's probably some of you that were just flipping through the dials and you stopped here and you're, you're wanting an encouraging word. You're wondering, God, I need something to keep me going. And we often want uh, like a spiritual hug we want God to just say something that's going to make us feel better. And you know what? That is not the way that Jesus responded to John. I'll just give you a tease on this. I'll explain it more on tomorrow's broadcast. But you know what he did? And it may take some explanation for you to see this, but Jesus referred John back to the Word. Rather than just saying something complimentary about him that might have blessed him and helped him temporarily, Maybe for the next, you know, day, it would have made him feel good. But then the next day, he'd have woken up in prison again, and he would have still been facing possible execution. And once again, all of the stuff would have come in on him. That hug wouldn't have lasted very long. Instead, God sent him back to the Word. And this is, I believe, because God loved and respected John so much that he didn't come down to just an emotional level and give him something that would make him feel good for the rest of the day. But he gave him promises and fulfilled promises in the Word of God, pointed him back to the Word that would make him feel good the rest of his life if he would just operate in faith and take what the Word of God has to say. Now, that needs to be explained more, and that's what I'm going to be dealing with on our program tomorrow. I encourage you to listen in. Also, remember that this is our brand new book, and this week will be my last week to offer this teaching, A Sure Foundation. So I encourage you to please request this. This coming Friday will be my last day to offer this over my program. We also have CDs and DVDs on this same thing. And I tell you, this teaching 
could literally transform your life. It's what every one of us needs. So listen to our announcer. Please go to the effort of requesting the materials and then join me again tomorrow as I continue this teaching on a sure foundation. We hope you were blessed by today's episode of The Gospel Truth. Andrew and Jamie wish to share their sincere gratitude for all the grace partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your generous partnership enables us to take the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news to the ends of the earth. May God richly bless you for your faithfulness. If you're not already partnering with Andrew Womack Ministries, we encourage you to join us in this great harvest today. Andrew's teaching titled, A Sure Foundation, is available in a brand new book for a gift of any amount. This teaching is also available as a CD album recorded live from a Gospel Truth conference or in a DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Also today, Andrew is relaunching his Living Commentary. This updated Living Commentary is a Bible program for both Mac and PC which allows you to study through the Bible with Andrew. This one-of-a-kind living commentary allows you to regularly download his most recent footnotes and commentary on over 22,000 verses. This redesigned living commentary is available as a download for both Mac and PC for a gift of $120 or more exclusively as a website-only offer on awmi.net. Or you can get the Living Commentary as part of the Assure Foundation package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album, the book, and the Living Commentary. This package has a catalog value of $165, but you can get it today for only $135. Also, today's individual audio CD is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111. If the lines are busy, remember, you can order ministry materials or become a Grace Partner 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at awmi.net. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of April, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado to host a special concert with John Tesh and Dave Bell and the Moment Band. In May, he'll be in Louisville, Texas, Irving, Texas for a Gospel Truth Seminar, and Fort Worth, Texas. Also in May, Andrew will be in Telford, England for the annual UK Grace and Faith Conference with speakers Wendell Parr, John Donnelly, Dominic Burns, and Dwayne Sheriff. In June, he'll be at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park for the Kingdom Business Summit with special guests Willie Robertson, Dr. Henry Cloud, Andrew Mason, Lance Walnell, Paul Milligan, Billy Epperhart, Dr. Dean Radke, and Karen Conrad. In July, Andrew will be in Woodland Park for the annual Summer Family Bible Conference, along with speakers Barry Bennett, Stephen Bransford, Carrie Pickett, 
Greg Moore, Wendell Parr, Paul Milligan, Lawson Perdue, Billy Epperhart, Mark Coward, and Congressman Bob McEwen. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I'm the president and founder of Karis Bible College. And on August 2019, we are going to host Kingdom Youth Conference. We're going to have Todd White as a speaker, Joseph Z, Ryan Edberg, and we're also going to have the band Versus doing praise and worship. And I just believe it's going to be a great time for youth. We are excited about them coming to our new facility. You would be blessed by it. Remember, it's Kingdom Youth Conference right here in Woodland Park, Colorado.